tonight's discussion is answering probably the most important question, what is eternal life? But also a great mystery. We're going to dive in a little deep tonight, but there's not going to be any possible way we can cover all of it because it is such a deep topic. In fact, uh, I want to start off just with this scripture. This is Alma 12, verse 9. Just This is kind of a, a kickoff because this is important to understand as we look at this. Alma began to expound these things unto him. This is unto uh, Zezrim. It is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. Nevertheless, they are laid under a strict command that they shall not impart only or accept, except according to the portion of his word, which he doth grant unto the children of men, according to the heed and diligence, which they give unto him. So right here, this is an important concept to understand. Alma makes it extremely clear that there are some things which are, fall under the classification of mysteries of God. And we're going to see how this falls right in line with that. Let me. So, so as we're trying to answer this question, what is eternal life? First and foremost, I just want to make sure that we all understand that this is part of the mysteries of God. Mysteries of God or mysteries of godliness. And that is important to understand because a lot of that means that it takes, well, as we just saw here, look at this. Heed and diligence, which the children of men give unto God, right here. Heed and diligence, which they give unto him. Heed and diligence. So, this, this is a principle of righteousness, obedience, and revelation. Because even if I tried to tell you everything that I understood... And if it was if it was a uh, beyond beyond uh, any light or level you were ready or capable to receive, it wouldn't work. So understanding understanding this on the for, at the forefront is really important because eternal life is inheriting the kingdom of God, the mysteries of the kingdom, the mysteries of God, the mysteries of godliness are really great. And as Alma said, you know, it's not given to everybody everybody to know, including myself. I definitely don't profess to know or understand all of it. So in that light, let's jump in to some of these scriptures. Now, eternal life on the outset, on the extremely superficial surface of everything, is clearly uh, this idea of inheriting what God has or or living the life that God lives. And, and those aren't necessarily scriptural uh, terms, well, I guess some aren't, some aren't, but but we're going to see some really good scriptures that help define it just a little bit better. Okay. Now, as we're defining eternal life, we're going to run into some synonyms. So we're going right to read right here John 3, 14 to 17, and, and 
checking out some synonyms is going to be important so that we can recognize these in the scriptures. As Moses lifted up the serpent, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. So there's eternal life. But then verse 16, For God so loved the world, gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Same thing. So there's number two. And then verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through that the world through him might be saved. So right off the bat, we get three synonyms. Let's put this on here. We get three synonyms. And I put an asterisk here because uh, this is going to be important to understand. So we have eternal life, eternal life. Then we had everlasting life. And obviously everlasting and eternal makes a lot of sense, right? But then we have saved. Now, notice notice the little asterisk here. This is because context is extremely important when, when looking at this. Let's look at a couple other scriptures real quick, and we'll see. We can see dozens, all right? So here's 30, find 9, 17 to 20 or 22. So look at this. As many have received me, to them I have given become the sons of God. And then skip right here. By me redemption cometh. So skip down. And he talks about being baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost. Coming unto Christ, offering a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That's the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And then, and then look right here. We come back to redemption. I came to bring redemption to save the world from sin. So now we have save, being redeemed from our sins in the in this context of baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. So if we look, and then here's another example, Titus 3, verse 5. In the New Testament, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. Regeneration is renewal. The washing of renewal or becoming a new man or rebirth. So being born the sons of God like we just read, right, in 35. By the washing of rebirth or regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So here is why it's important that context matters. So which is why I put the asterisk right here, because depending on context, sometimes, sometimes saved equals uh, the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, which is becoming, as we just read, reborn or born again rather so i'm pointing this out because if you go through the scriptures and you don't pay attention to the context you're going to see all of these different phrases thrown around and and you have to kind of sometimes read a few verses prior or a few verses later or sometimes all the way to the end of the chapter and by doing that you get context and sometimes it might be a little blurry. Uh, 
as we've seen this before, we jump to 2 Nephi 31. We see here this context, 2 Nephi 31, 15, and 20 is, is the context the same. Look at this. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. And then he equates enduring to the end down here in 20. If you endure to the end, you shall have eternal life, thus saith the Father. See? So, right there we see that he's talking about saved. He almost equates it there. Uh but it can also be a little bit tricky, I will admit, because notice he says this in verse 15, right after he talks about the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost saved. So I'm, I'm definitely going to admit that it's not always super clear. But hopefully after our discussion tonight, as we explore more of these scriptures and read some quotes from the prophet Joseph Smith, that we will see that a lot of these that we think might refer to one might, um, refers to something else. And we hopefully we get a better understanding of this concept of eternal life and being saved, or sometimes it says being saved in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of heaven. And that will help us unwrap some of these scriptures. And the most important thing is understanding that the whole purpose of eternal life, or the sorry, the whole purpose of the gospel is eternal life. All right. This is the... This is, this is the whole reason of the gospel or doctrine of Christ. So, let's jump here into John, most classic definition, John 17, 3. Well, 17, 2 and 3. But here, here's our, probably our most important definition of eternal life and clearest in the scriptures. This is Jesus' intercessory prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to the Father, As thou hast given him, or me, him the Son, referring to himself, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, or life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So, we start to build here, Another equivalency, eternal life equals knowing God. Now, I put another asterisk right here because <laughs> just, just like being saved has context, so does knowing God. And, and so this is really important. In fact, we'll go right back to 2 Nephi 31, and we'll go to the previous verse. So 2 Nephi 31, verse 14 shows us exactly what we're talking about when I say it's contextual, this idea of knowing God. I'll just show a couple of verses and then point you in the direction of tons more, but check this out. Behold, my beloved brethren, thus came the voice of the Son unto me, Nephi is saying, saying to me, after you have repented of your sins, witness unto the Father, you're willing to keep my commandments by baptism of fire and received baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost and can speak with a new tongue, yea, even with the tongue of angels. And after this should deny me, look at this, look at the equivalency here. It would have been better for you that ye had not known me. 
So here he equival um he 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 equates knowing me to this event here received the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. So so we're going to see. Let's let's put down here this context because just like last time saved we have this baptism of fire and the holy ghost being reborn just the same do we have to know god or jesus christ and that is also baptism of fire holy ghost isn't that interesting so we have these we have these various levels of salvation at least at the very least two and various levels of knowing God and Jesus Christ. In fact, let's just take a couple other examples just to show this first level. Um, words of Mormon 1 verse 8. Uh, Mormon interjects here in between the small plates and the large plates. My prayer to God is concerning my brethren that they may once again come to the knowledge of God. Yay, look at this. The redemption of Christ. So we just saw in 3 Nephi 9, redeeming us from our sins through the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. So he's equating here, knowledge of God, yay, the redemption of Christ, that they might be, again, the delights of people. So there's that equivalency. And then how about here, Mosiah 18, 26 and 30. This is important to understand because this whole idea of the gospel is one of progression. And so it starts to make a lot of sense when we start to define eternal life in this matter and start to see that there are uh, multiple levels of knowing God. And so not all of the levels are, are equaling eternal life. And we're going to see that here in just a second. So the priests were not to depend on the people for support, but for their labor. They were to receive the grace of God. They might wax strong in the spirit having the knowledge of God. Now, this is right after their baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. We'll see that in a few verses. Then it might teach with power and authority from God. Look here in verse 30. It came to pass that all this was done in Mormon. Yea, the waters of Mormon, the forest of Mormon, place of Mormon, etc., etc., etc. How beautiful are they, the eyes of them, who there came to the knowledge of their Redeemer. See that? They, they came to know Christ there, just as Nephi told us. So, so there, there's that first level of knowing the Savior, of knowing God, but it's but we're going to see in just a second it's not eternal life. One more example in this, and there are there are there are dozens in the in the scriptures that, that, that we could do, but there's there's no point in reading overall when we, we're making the point here. But this one is really good. Doctrine and Covenants section 46, verses 13 and 14. To some it is given by the Holy Ghost through the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, like we just read, to know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was crucified for the sins of the world. So there's that testimony. And to others it is given to believe on their words. And then look at look at here, that they also might have eternal life if they continue faithful. Now, if we're not careful and we read this verse by itself, then we might make a mistake and say, wait a minute, 
that they also might have eternal life because these people have eternal life. Therefore, once I have that definition, that first level definition of knowledge, then I've got eternal life. Uh, that's not so, and we're going to see that in just a second. So here we're going to see two levels, at least two levels, but we see that it might even be more. So step here at the baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost, which is when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, same thing. Then that's knowing God. But then we have a, a higher step here that we're going to look at in just a second. So section, section 46 is talking about here what we just read. But then it says, also have eternal life. So that gets a little bit confusing because it makes it sound like these people here have eternal life. If but but here's the thing: if they continue faithful, this is the key phrase that applies to both groups. If they continue faithful, so we'll, we're going to jump right back to Second Nephi thirty-one, but this time verse seventeen and eighteen. So Second Nephi thirty-one, verse seventeen and eighteen, and this is going to help prove the point. Wherefore, do the things which I've told you I've seen your Redeemer should do for this cause. They've been shown unto me. And then right here, for the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water. Then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and the Holy Ghost. And then, so the word then means after what I just said. Well, what did, what did he just say? He just said baptism by water, fire, and the Holy Ghost and repentance. Not necessarily in that order. Repentance is first. But you get what I mean. So then after those four things, repentance, baptism, water, baptism, fire, baptism, Holy Ghost, then are ye in this straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life. So this statement makes very clear that eternal life is above that somewhere. Okay? So, so eternal life then is somewhere above this. It's not that same level. So this is why I'm talking about context and why it matters so much. The context matters so much because if you read in section 46 and you're not careful, you might make that jump to a false conclusion. Whereas here, Nephi makes it extremely clear that once you get the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, that's when you commence the path to eternal life. Now, the cool and interesting thing is, let me pull that up again. Okay, the cool thing here is that he's talking about this path. How about I draw a sun and that equals eternal life? Okay, and right here was the gate. And that gate was, the gate was repentance. Baptism of water, fire, Holy Ghost. And then after those things, after those things are standing here. Now, interestingly, we read that this that this event right here, the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, we read that that 
gives you a level of knowledge of Christ. And so when we go back here to Jesus' own definition in John 17, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Then we can come back to this diagram and say, oh, wait a minute. So this is all about knowing God and Jesus Christ, knowing, knowing the Father and the Son, knowing both of them. That's what this path is all about. So Nephi says, now you're on the path with which leads to eternal life. Well, we can rephrase all of this and, and we could say, wait, now you have entered into the gate of beginning to know Christ, and now you're on the path to knowing Christ. And you might even say knowing fully, that, that term, uh, how, how about I put uh, the word fully know or fullness. We're going to see this word fullness come up here shortly. We'll harken back to this. So now you're on the path which leads to knowing God, the path which leads to eternal life. So uh, when we're reading the scriptures and you're looking at this idea of knowledge of God, knowledge of our Redeemer, know God, knowing Christ, uh, the context is going to matter a lot because that's going to indicate if it's talking about um, the first level of redemption or first level of being saved. So we have this first level back here. This first level is not only the first level of knowing God, it's also the first level of being saved. But we also have saved big S up here. So let's start talking about this step right here. Because here in this step, we have this moment where Nephi, that we just barely read, at the... Um, 2nd Ephi 31.20. Thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. Isn't that interesting? Ye shall have. This is a promise. This is a promise of eternal life. Ye shall have eternal life. The Father is promising it. Ye shall have eternal life. Now that is going to be important as we look at some more of these scriptures. Let us jump to section 88, verses 2 through 5. So section 88, 2 through 5 is going to tell us more about this promise. Behold, this is pleasing unto your Lord, and the angels rejoice over you. The alms of your prayers have come up into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, and are recorded in the book of the names of the sanctified, even them of the celestial world. Wherefore, look at this, I now send upon you another comforter even upon you, my friends, that it may abide in your hearts, even the Holy Spirit of promise. Here it is. Which other comforter is the same that I promised unto my disciples, as is recorded in the testimony of John? That's John chapter 14, actually. And then look here. This other comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life. Even the glory of the celestial kingdom, which glories out of the church of the firstborn, even of God, the holiest of all, through Jesus Christ, his son. So, a couple of things to unpack right here. We have, first of all, uh, this idea of, a, of another comforter, 
which is the promise of eternal life. And then we have, in another words, the promise of the glory of the celestial kingdom. So let's unpack that here. So we have these equivalents, these synonyms. We had eternal life, everlasting life saved. Now let's add glory of the celestial kingdom. And then we have, so here we have other comforter. And then he also called it, look at that, the, even the Holy Spirit of promise. So we have a couple of, in other words, going on. Which other comforter, even the Holy Spirit of promise, which is what I promised my disciples. So here we have other comforter or let's put here. Holy Spirit of Promise, HSOP, if that works. I know I'm writing kind of smaller. He tells us that was the promise of eternal life. So it's not receiving eternal life yet. So eternal life still is a little bit elusive. It's above this level. But this is the moment of re being promised eternal life, which is matching what we just read from Nephi. 2 Nephi 31, verse 20, Thus saith the Father, if you endure to the end, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. So here is a promise of eternal life. And this promise of eternal life, as he said, the other comforter, the, the Holy Spirit of promise, now interesting, the Holy Spirit of promise, that is Jesus Christ. We're going to see that in just a second. So we're going to, we're going to pull up here. This is a discourse from Joseph Smith, uh, June 27, 1839. Mark, I forgot to give you that one. So this is Joseph Smith sermon, June 27, 1839. And he's going to just explain this just a little bit. So this, this might be a review for understanding this concept. If so, great. Because it's really important to understand it. So regarding the doctrine of election, look here. St. Paul exhorts us to make our calling election sure. It's actually St. Peter. Um, but this is that sealing power spoken of by Paul in other places, such as Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, in whom ye also trusted that after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that, Ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. See that? Which is the earnest of our inheritance. Look at that. Inherit, well, what are we trying to inherit? The kingdom of God. The earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So Joseph says that we may be sealed up unto the day of redemption. Sealed. So here's that term again. Sealed. Uh, this principle ought to be taught. Uh, for God hath not revealed anything to Joseph, but he will make known unto the twelve, and even the least saint may know all things as fast as he is able to bear them. Now look at this. This concept right here is talking about what we said at the very beginning. The mysteries, the mysteries of God can come to anybody, but it's all according to the heed and diligence which we give unto God, unto the voice of the Spirit. So that's that's exactly what Joseph is talking about here. This is a principle of the mysteries of the kingdom. Look at this. 
For the day must come when no man need to say to his neighbor, Know ye the Lord, for all shall know him who remain. This is talking about uh, the day of the millennium. From the least to the greatest. And how is this to be done? How shall they know the Lord? Well, by the sealing power and by the other comforter spoken of, manifest by revelation. There are two comforters spoken of in the scriptures. One is the Holy Ghost, which is what we already understand, that which was given on the day of Pentecost, what they received after faith, repentance, baptism of water, baptism of fire, and the Holy Ghost. So uh, we'll skip down. That's all about the Holy Ghost. But the other comforter spoken of is a subject of great interest and perhaps understood by few of this generation. After a person has faith in Christ, repents of his sins, and is baptized for the remission of sins and receives the Holy Ghost by laying a lot of hands, which is the first comforter, which he just talked about the paragraph above, let him continue to humble himself before God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and living by every word of God, which is all about the new and everlasting covenant, as we've talked about many times, doing everything the Lord tells us, right? And the Lord will soon say to him, here it is, here it is, here's the promise, son, thou shalt be exalted, etc. When the Lord has thoroughly proved him and finds the man is determined to serve him at all hazards, then the man will find his calling and election made sure. There it is. Then it will be his privilege to receive the other comforter, which the Lord promised the saints is recorded in the testimony of St. John chapter 14, verse 12 to 27. And then he notes verses 16 through 18, 21, 23. So what is this other comforter? Look at this. It's no more, no less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is the sum and substance of the whole matter, that when any man obtains the last comforter, he will have the personage of Jesus Christ to attend him and appear to him from time to time. So this other comforter, which is the promise of eternal life, is not just a vision of Jesus Christ. Now, in this discourse, he doesn't go into all the details. But if we jump to section 84, verses 19 and 23 and 24, we get a little bit more about this context of seeing Jesus Christ. Because obviously, we're all talking about knowing God and seeing God and hearing his voice in his presence is certainly a higher level of knowledge than just receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, where that spirit witnesses to us. So in section 84... Verses 19, 23, 24, we get this. And this greater priesthood, the higher priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood, administers the gospel and holds the key. Look, this is what we're talking about. Holds the key of the mysteries of the kingdom. Ah, look at that. Even the key of the knowledge of God. There it is. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is eternal life. So the, the greater priesthood administers the gospel and holds the key of eternal life it holds, means without the gospel, without the priesthood, you can't unlock the door that leads to eternal life. That's what we're talking about here. And it becomes clear as crystal. So plain. It's so simple. So even the key of the knowledge of God and to know God is eternal life. Uh, 23 and 24. Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. So look at this, talking about beholding God's face. But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore, the Lord in his wrath for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness. So during their lifetime, look, look, 
Look at this, which rest is the fullness of his glory. So there is a context to this beholding the face of God. It's the idea of entering into his rest during this life. That was while they were in the wilderness. And that rest is specifically referring to the fullness of his glory. And that's what this other comforter is talking about. So the other comforter, as we're looking here, and we're looking at this staircase we're heading to eternal life, at some point, at some point on this path, we receive a promise of eternal life, and that's done through the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit of promise, the HSOP, who is Jesus Christ. As Joseph Smith just outlined, it is Jesus Christ, but it's seeing Jesus Christ in his presence in the fullness of his glory, which does not occur here on the earth. So understanding, understanding what it means to behold God's face in this life and the second comforter, the Holy Spirit of promise, all those things, the promise of eternal life. Understanding those things is really important as we try and define this. And we have some more mysteries to unpack here. So the path which leads to eternal life, a.k.a. the path which leads to the knowledge of God, opened by the gospel. Let's look here. We have, okay, after the promise of eternal life, let's look at section 93. So in Doctrine and Covenants section 93, verses 1 to 28, we have a lot of special pieces of information to unpack. Again, this is all about trying to understand if eternal life is knowing God, then then what level of knowing God? Because we just saw various levels of knowing God. So how much do we need to know God? To what extent? So as we look here, check this out. In section 93, verse 1, look at this. Same thing we just read. Verily thus saith the Lord, it shall come to pass that every soul that who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. Now this contextually is still talking about in this life, just like in uh, section 84 was talking about. And for further context, you can see uh, section... 67 verse 10, but that's what it's talking about. And then look here. And so know, and look at there, we have knowledge, know that I am. So again, this idea of knowing God, eternal life, right? Know that I am, and that I am the true light, and that lighteth every man that cometh into the world, that I am in the Father, the Father in me, and the Father in I are one. Check this out. The Father, because he gave me of his fullness, he gave me of his fullness and the son because I was in the world and made flesh my tabernacle and dwelt among men. So, so this idea of receiving of the, of the fullness of the father is really important. And that here is what we're talking about. Fullness. So Jesus Christ... Right there. He received the fullness of the Father, he tells us. Now, let's look a little bit deeper, because we have some more pieces here. So, 
uh, let's skip down really quick to, oh, by the way, look at this. John the Baptist, John the Baptist saw and bore record of the fullness of my glory, which we just read in DNC 84. So John experienced that same event of receiving the promise of eternal life or seeing the face of God. He bore record of the fullness of my glory. Interesting. So I saw his glory that he was in the beginning, the messenger of salvation, Jesus Christ. But look here, verse 9 the light and the redeemer of the world, the spirit of truth, who came into the world because the world was made by him and in him, look at this, in him was the life of men. Now, this life is important because we're trying to understand eternal life. In him was the life of men. So that's uh, that's a thing I want to add here. Jesus Christ being in him, being this example in him. was life. This is this is really good stuff. We start diving deeper and deeper. So in him is life of men. Let's skip down. Da -da -da. Worlds were made by him. I beheld his glory, says John. So that there it is again. Um, but look, verse 12. Look at this. I saw that he received not of the fullness at the first, whatever the first means, but he received grace for grace. So let me write this down. So not full. The old, the old spelling of fullness is with one L, but currently it's with two L's. So I always get confused. Not fullness at the first. Now, personally, Hope you don't mind. I'm going to put a question mark here because uh, that is a little bit of a mystery. We could say the beginning of his mortal life, but um, as we dive deeper, we're going to see that that might not be referring exactly to that. So I'm putting a question mark there. What does he mean at the first? But he received grace for grace. That phrase is going to be important also. Grace for grace. So, and then verse 13, so he didn't receive fullness at first, but he continued until he received a fullness, grace for grace, okay, which we, which, which he saw. Now, next verse 14, and look at this, and thus he was called the son of God because he received not of the fullness at first. So he, son of God, the father, because he didn't receive fullness at first, but then he will eventually receive the fullness of the father. And become like Heavenly Father, which, which we'll see here. So, verse 14, not at the first, right? Well, jump to 16 and 17. I, John, bear record that he received a fullness of the glory. So, that, so we, we saw, first it was just fullness, but now he's specifying fullness of the glory of the Father. So, Real quick, I'm just going to indicate here that we have slight difference between fullness of the Father and fullness of the Son. Which, by the way, fullness, remember the, the Father is over the celestial 
and the sun is over the terrestrial. This is this is just a interesting side note. So that the fullness of the sun, the fullness of the sun's glory is terrestrial glory, and the fullness of the father's glory is celestial glory. Just important, interesting side note as we're looking at this. So verse 16, he and look, he received all power, both in heaven and earth, and the glory of the Father was with him, for he dwelt with him. So now let's put he received all power. Okay, let's jump back to section 93. So uh, let's skip down to verse 22. Actually, look at verse 19 here first. Look at this. I give unto you these sayings. So this is the this is the this is Jesus Christ speaking to to Joseph and those receiving this revelation. I give unto you these sayings that you may understand and know how to worship and know what you worship, that you may come unto the Father in my name and in look at this and in due time receive of His fullness. So now we have a transition between Jesus receiving the father's fullness and then in due time you receiving the father's fullness so let's let's add that here so this is in due time so in due time that we might receive the father's fullness isn't that interesting so interesting phrase here in due time receive his fullness for if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of his fullness and be glorified in me as I am in the Father. Look at that. As I am in the Father. You, and look at this. I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. So look at this. Verse 20 is making a comparison between us and Christ if we continue faithful. So glorified in me as I am in the Father. I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. Interesting. So that, so he, he specifies here that we'll receive grace for grace. And so that obviously we haven't received a fullness at first. That's what he's hinting at, right? So, and that eventually we might receive the fullness of the Father. What we're looking at here. So, it sounds like going after the same path and following after the footsteps of the Savior, as as uh, Nephi says in 2 Nephi 31. Look at this. 2 31 verse 10. He said unto the children of men, Follow thou me. So Jesus wants us to follow in his footsteps. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, can we follow Jesus? Save we shall be willing to keep commandments of the Father just like he did all of the commandments. So that's, that's really interesting. And he says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if you shall follow the Son with the full purpose of heart, then you'll receive all these things that we were just talking about before. The baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost uh, and the promise of eternal life, etc., etc., so following the sun, let's put that here on the side. 
follow thou me is the commandment from Jesus Christ. So let's jump down verse 22. Let's see. I am the firstborn, he says, verse 21, verse 22. And all those who are begotten through me, so born again, all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory of the same, of me, and are the church of the firstborn. Well, that's what we read in section 88. Section 88, uh, being the church of the firstborn, when we receive the promise of eternal life. In fact, I forgot to write that here on this. So I'm running out of room on here. Church of firstborn. Okay. And... Now, Jesus says here, partakers of the glories of the same. Now, look at this. After verse 22, skip down. So, you were also in the beginning of the Father. Uh, let's jump down to verse 26. So, the spirit of truth is of God. I am the spirit of truth. And John bore record of me, saying he received a fullness of truth, yea, even all truth. So, earlier, earlier we saw here, received a fullness of, of, of the Father's glory or the fullness of the Father, and now we're using the word truth. So that's really interesting. We're fullness of truth, even all truth. And then look here, and no man receiveth the fullness unless he keepeth his commandments. So there it is again. So we keep coming back to the gospel over and over and over again, and the whole essence of the gospel is the new and everlasting covenant, which is being willing to obey the commandments of the Father like we just read in 2 Nephi 31 again. So that whole this whole journey is all about keeping the commandments. And that's what Jesus did. He came to do the will of the Father from the beginning. Okay, so that was... And then look at this. And so it transitioned from talking of Jesus, verse 26. See here? Verse 26, he's talking about himself, the spirit of truth. I'm the spirit of truth. And he the spirit of truth, Jesus Christ, received a fullness of truth, even of all truth. But then look at the transition, 27 and 28. And no man, no other man, so no man, including Jesus, receives a fullness of what? Of truth, of glory, unless he keeps God's commandments. And verse 28, and that person that keeps God's commandments receives truth and light until he is glorified in truth and knoweth all things. Now we have this knowledge again. Knoweth all things. See that? Knoweth all things. Including this is eternal life to know God. So let's let's put that down on here. So no man receives of a fullness unless he keeps the commandments. So that is the whole essence of this path. Keep the commandments. Okay. And then glorified in all things. See, look at that. Glorified in truth and knoweth all things. And look at this until. So if you keep his commandments, you will receive truth and light until. That word until is a journey in a time frame. It's, it's this whole idea of what we just read, the in due time. 
in due time, we have until, well, we just read until, same idea, glorified in truth and knows all things, knows all. So we have these equivalents here in the fullness of glory of the Father, his fullness, the fullness of truth, even all truth, as it said, glorified in truth and know all things. Well, who, who knows all things? Who knows all things? God knows all things. So this idea of us knowing God, right here in section 93, looks like it has an equivalent to eventually, in due time, knowing all things. In other words, becoming like God. So we're starting to, uh, we're starting to dissect and reverse engineer this whole idea of eternal life is becoming like God and living the life God lives or et cetera, et cetera, those kinds of words and phrases. But, but being able to show it in the scriptures clearly is really important and really helpful because it helps unwrap these mysteries as we're taking a look at this. Now, follow thou me. We're going to pull up a scripture reference here. Let's see, Romans... Uh, was it Romans eight seventeen? So as we're following the sun, we have some interesting indications of what the path of discipleship looks like, and sometimes it can seem intimidating. Now, the idea of keeping all the commandments and being perfect, even as I, your Father in heaven, is perfect, as He says. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But then when he appears to the Nephites after his resurrection, when he has been completed and perfected, he says, even as I or your Father in heaven is perfect. That helps us be like, okay, wait a minute, this idea of being perfect, what? So he wants us to become just like him, just like the Father. So, Roman, oh, here it is. I forgot to pull it up. There it is. Romans 8, 17. Let me just... Actually, let me back up one verse. The Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now this, now this children of God reference is referring to that reborn children of God, like we read in Third Nephi nine. That's that's the ref, that's the uh, context of this children of God. So when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost through the baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost, then we become children of Christ, children of God, even the sons of God or the daughters of God. And that's the context right here in verse 16. So verse 17, and if children, if spirit children of God and Christ, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If it so be that we suffer with him. And then here's that phrase that we've been looking at, that we may also be also glorified together. Okay, so... Oh, I'm here, I'm trying to write on the thing and I forgot to pull it up. So here, oh, I've run out of room. Let's do a new one. So here we have that idea again. I'm going to write it again from the other page. So the sun says, follow thou me, as Nephi said. And Paul says, joint heirs with Christ, but there's a big if, if we suffer with him, if we suffer with him, that is a big if, because that can seem really daunting, and that can be the bitter cup 
that we don't want to drink, right? That's the whole that's the whole idea here that it is uh, not an easy thing or a pretty thing. But look at the next verse. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So again about glory, glorified together, but look at that, glorified together. Well, let's add that. Glorified together. So this notion here that Paul's talking about is right as we saw here that as Jesus did all these things, and then, then it says that we might also do these things, grace for grace, that we in due time might receive of this fullness. Now, interestingly, we didn't read specifically of these others, like receiving all power and having life in us, but interestingly, it's talking about being joint heirs. So if Jesus inherited all power, then that would be indicative that we might also receive all power in due time, the until, right? And that uh, in him was life, well, in us also might be life. So keep these in mind as we move forward. So let's read a few. We have a few references. I'm going to go through a bunch real quick just to take a look at some of these wordings around eternal life. So you start to see it a little bit more in action as we've been comparing, contrasting the different levels and whatnot. So here's Mosiah 5.15. Therefore, would that you should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ the Lord God omnipotent. Look at this. Now that we have a little more context, may seal you his. To be sealed up under eternal life, as Joseph Smith said, may seal you his. That's the promise of eternal life. They may be brought to heaven that you may have everlasting salvation and eternal life through the wisdom, power, justice, mercy of him who created all things in heaven and earth, who is God above all. Amen. Or how Mosiah 15, 23 through 25, they are raised to dwell with God who has redeemed them. Now, God that has redeemed us uh, that God is Christ. By the way, there's another contextual reference. Thus, they have eternal life through Christ. So look at that. So now we have another equivalent here, raised to dwell with God, thus they have eternal life. So let's add that here back on. Dwell with God, thus they have eternal life. Has broken the bands of death, 24, and these are those who have part in the first resurrection. Interesting. So first resurrection is that level. And these are they that have died before Christ came. Their ignorance uh, have part of life. Little children also have eternal life. Interesting. So Mosiah 18 verse 9. Here it is again, the first resurrection. This is referring to this covenant of baptism the Alma is giving to those he's about to baptize. You're willing to mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need of comfort, stand as witnesses of God all in all times, places, things that may be in, etc., that you might be redeemed of God, be numbered with those of, there it is again, the first resurrection, that ye may have eternal life. Here's Mosiah 26, verse 20. So this is the Lord speaking to Alma. Check this out now with 
Now with this, you'll see the promise of eternal life given to Alma. Thou art my servant, Alma, and I covenant with thee that thou shalt have eternal life. So here, Alma receives the promise of eternal life. And if he received the promise of eternal life, that is through the second comforter, that sealing power spoken of by Paul, which is the Holy Spirit of promise sealing one up to eternal life, making their calling election sure. And thou shalt serve me and go forth in my name and shalt gather together my sheep. Interesting. So we see that in action. And, oh, no, we just read that one. Now, this is 3 Nephi 9, 13, 14. Uh, all ye that are spared, all ye that are spared because you're more righteous than they, will you not now return unto me and repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you? That's referring to the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, which he expounds on later. Yea, verily I say unto you, if ye will come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. So there's the there's the gospel truncated in a couple of phrases. If you come unto me, you'll have eternal life. But you have to keep coming until you have eternal life. You have to keep coming forward, obeying the commandments like we were reading in section 93. Behold, my arm of mercy is extended towards you, and whosoever will come, him will I receive. And then famous verse here. Now, look at this. For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. So let's pull up here on the whiteboard. So my work and my glory, this is important to note because the Father gets his glory through those whom he exalts. Immortality and eternal life. Now, why... Would he list those separately is a little bit of a mystery, except as we start to carve out these pieces, we start to see, uh, we're going to read a reference in, uh, in the scriptures and a quote from Joseph about this idea of, of uh, immortality and then eternal life as we're currently unpacking, which again, hopefully this is, this is a... Uh, it can't be this can't be this can't be 100% comprehensive. That that that's the point I'm trying to that I want to make is that it can't be comprehensive but hopefully it, it is a good like outline a review a good launch point to take these scriptures and find the many 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 more that uh that there are there I have so many here in front of me that that we can't go through all of them tonight but uh but we're going to see a little bit of difference here between those so this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality, eternal life of man. Moses 139. Super important one. So I wrote that there. Now, look at this with Adam. When he receives the gospel, we have... Okay, so the by reason of the transgression cometh the fall, which fall bringeth death. And inasmuch as you were born into the world by water and blood and the spirit, which I have made... And so became of dust a living soul. Even so, you must be born again into the kingdom of heaven of water, spirit, and cleansed by blood. So, by the way, the blood is representative of fire. Even the blood of mine only begotten, that ye might be sanctified from all sin. And enjoy, look at this, and enjoy the words of eternal life in this world. Interesting. What are the words of eternal life in this world? and eternal life in the world to come, even immortal glory. Even immortal glory. So here, 
words of eternal life in this world. Now, we have the gospel of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, which are the words of life. Jesus has the words of life. That is the doctrine of Christ. So, but to enjoy the words of eternal life in this world is, is to enjoy the words from the mouth of God himself that ye shall have eternal life. So, let's write that down. That's two contextual uses. Oh, wait. There we go. So, words of eternal life. We have the doctrine of Christ is the words of eternal life. Or the gospel of Christ. Or the fullness of the gospel. Same thing. But then we also have the promise of eternal life. Which is the, it's the words of God to us. You shall have eternal life. My messy whiteboard skills here. And then as you, as you go on here, Moses 6. Talking about baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. Etc. Etc. Becoming the sons of God, but uh, but eternal life in the world to come. So in the world to come, we have this until or in due time idea. Eternal life in the world to come. So if we go back, we have this notion world to come. See down here. So it's this it's this in due time idea. This until idea. This event, this eventually idea, right there, eventually being joint heirs with Christ, suffering with Him, glorified together. Eventually, eventually, is what we're looking at. So, okay, next one. No, let's skip that one. Moses five. There's too many here. Uh, there's another good one. We'll skip that. So here, here's the summary again. Doctrine and Covenants 14.7. If you keep my commandments and endure to the end, you shall have eternal life. There it is again, shall have. Which gift is the greatest of all the gifts of God? So here it is a gift from God. Clearly. Because am I going to receive eternal life on my own? No way. Uh, that one should be pretty obvious. Now, Look how it's look look how it's uh, worded here in section seventy five verse five. And thus, if you are faithful, you shall be laden with many sheaves. Interesting. Look at this, laden with many sheaves. It sounds like great responsibility, great task, great burden. Laden with many sheaves. Well, compare that here to if we should suffer with him. I'm going to say I'm going to say great burden because that's really what or responsibility because that's really what it's trying to get at here because that is the whole nature of being a servant of God and following after the footsteps of Jesus Christ. That's the whole idea. Joint heirs with him if we'll suffer with him following this path. Many sheaves and look at this and crowned with honor, glory, immortality and eternal life. Interesting. Interesting list there. So uh, let's add that here. Crowned with honor, glory, immortality, eternal life. Honor, glory. So interestingly, we have my work and my glory, immortality and eternal life. 
Now, why doesn't he say this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the honor, glory, immortality, eternal life of man? Well, I don't know, but but it's all right there, which is why the scriptures are so important that we put all the pieces together because we get more pieces the more scriptures we combine. Now, this idea of being crowned is really important and interesting looking at that. So, section 59, verse 23, we have the same idea, eternal life in the world to come, which we saw earlier. And then section 101, verse 38 and 65, look at this. Here's the same context we saw before. Seek the face of the Lord always, that in patience ye may possess your souls, and ye shall have eternal life. That's 38. And now skip down to 65. So interesting, it's equating this idea of seeking the face of the Lord to have eternal life, which is coming to know God. Therefore, I, say the Lord, must gather together my people according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life and be crowned. There it is. There it is again, crowned with celestial glory. When I shall come in the kingdom of my Father to reward every man according as his work shall be. Now, look at this. When I shall come in the kingdom of my Father. So this is giving a certain time stamp. Timestamp says when I come. So interestingly, we start to see that that uh, there is a moment in time when we might expect this to happen, at least for some, to receive eternal life. When I come in the kingdom of my father. Well, that's that's the second coming. That is the beginning of the millennium. So as far as timestamps go, let's uh let's this is important and helpful when I shall come. So let's pull that up on the whiteboard. So there is one context. And I say one because there are multiple. Now, look at this, section 76, 106 to 108. Section 76 to 108, or 76, 106 to 108, beg your pardon. It's talking about those who are going to suffer the wrath of God. But look at this phrase that's hidden here. These are they who are cast down to hell and suffer the wrath of Almighty God until the fullness of times. When Christ shall have subdued all enemies under his feet and shall have perfected his work. Well, when does Christ subdue enemies under his feet and perfect his work? That's the end of the millennium. Interesting. Well, keep paying attention. When Christ shall have subdued all enemies under his feet and shall have perfected his work. Now look at this. When he shall deliver up the kingdom and present it unto the Father. So, so this is where the Father gets his work and his glory. And we're, we're going to read that shortly from the words of Joseph Smith. When he shall deliver up the kingdom and present it unto the Father, spotless, saying, I have overcome... Pay attention to that word. We're going to write it down here on our whiteboard. And have trodden the winepress alone, even the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Look at this. Then shall he be crowned with the crown of his glory to sit on the throne of his power to reign forever and ever. Interesting. So 
then shall he be crowned with the crown of his glory. So that is the end of millennium context. So, so when I shall come, others are talking about receiving eternal life. Certain, certain others, but then here we're reading this notion of Christ receiving his crown at the end of the millennium. And we had subdued enemies under his feet. Subdued all enemies. This is important piece of information you'll find in the scriptures. So we're going to read some quotes from Joseph that con that takes these in context, a lot of these pieces that we've been talking about. And let's see, throne of his power. Let's see, crown, so we got crown of glory. Uh, deliver his kingdom to the Father. Okay, so deliver deliver the kingdom to the Father. Let's let's put that down. Deliver kingdom to Father. All perfected his work. These are these are important pieces of information because it's all going to start to come together. Uh, subdued enemies under his feet. Perfected his work. Deliver the kingdom to the Father. He's overcome. Oh, overcome. Let's not forget overcome. That one is super important. Now that's similar to the subduing all enemies, overcoming, but that's just a, a really helpful word. Okay, so here we're going to go to some, some words from the prophet Joseph Smith. And here we have, well, we'll look up a couple of scriptures first. So Acts 2, 34 and 35. Last enemy to overcome is death. We'll read a few scriptures and then see how it applies to what we're talking about. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord, the Father, saith unto my Lord, Jesus Christ, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool, which is what we were just reading about. Until I make thy foes thy footstool. And then look here, section DNC 5822. Wherefore, be subject to the powers that be until he reigns, whose right it is to reign, and subdues all enemies under his feet. There it is again. And then section 70, uh, 65, verse 6. Wherefore, may the kingdom of God go forth, that the kingdom of heaven may come, that thou, O God, mayest be glorified in heaven, so on earth, that thine enemies may be subdued. There it is again. Uh, section 76, verse 61. Uh we already read 106 to 108. Wherefore, let no man glory a man, but rather let him glory in God, who shall subdue all men enemies under his feet. And then we just read those other verses there. Now, here we have a we have a, some discourses, several discourses on making our calling election made sure, or making our calling election sure. Uh, from 2 Peter verse 1. This is from Joseph Smith. Uh, 14 May 1843, from the Wilford Woodruff diary. I'm going to scroll down here. A lot, of, a lot of great stuff here, but look at this. The principle of salvation is given to us through the knowledge, there it is, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So herein is eternal life to know God, Jesus Christ. Salvation, and look at the next statement. Salvation is nothing more or less than to triumph over all our enemies and put them under our feet. Our feet. And when we have power, look at this. 
when we have power to put all enemies under our feet in this world and a knowledge to triumph over all evil spirits in the world to come, then we are saved. As in the case of Jesus, he was to reign until he had put all enemies under his feet. Now, we just had a transition here. Joseph talking about us being able to put all enemies under our feet, but then switching to Jesus talking about when he puts enemies under his feet. It's a very specific um, difference. That difference is paramount. Look at this. Perhaps there are principles here that few men thought of. No person can have this salvation except through a tabernacle. Interesting. Another little piece of mystery there. Mysteries of the kingdom. Now, same subject discourse, but seven or several days later, what, seven days later? Uh, Willard Richards' diary. Make your calling election sure. Salvation is for a man to be saved from all his enemies until a man can triumph over death. He is not saved. Knowledge will do this. Okay, let's skip. These are great discourses to look at. Uh, Howard Corey's notebook, same discourse. Let's skip down. What is salvation? Salvation is for a man to be saved from all his enemies, even our last enemy, which is death. And for David saith, the Lord saith unto my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make that enemy's thy footstool what we just read and skip down franklin richards uh, notebook as man is liable to enemies there as well as here it is necessary there as well as here so in the other world it is necessary for him to be placed beyond their power in order to be saved so overcoming our enemies this is done by uh, our taking bodies keeping our first estate and having the power of resurrection pass upon us whereby we are enabled to gain the ascendancy over the disembodied spirits. In the James Burgess notebook, let's skip down here. Question, what is it for a man to obtain salvation? Answer, it is to triumph over every foe or ascend far above all enemies, for the last enemy to conquer is death. And until that is done, you have not obtained salvation. So, interesting. So, last enemy to overcome is death. So, let's... Add that here, overcoming death, so overcoming all enemies. So subdue all enemies, we have that, see? We have subdue all enemies, which is the same thing as overcoming all enemies. Now, overcome all enemies, the last one is death. So let's jump to Hebrews 7. So 15 and 16, Hebrews 7, 15 and 16. It is far yet more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, even Jesus Christ. That's what this whole chapter is about. Jesus Christ being a high priest after the same order as Melchizedek was. Who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Having the power of an endless life. Interesting. Uh, so this is a discourse. Joseph gave a discourse on this very chapter, and we'll read a commentary on this very verse. So that is discourse on Hebrews 7, 27 August 1843. Okay, so and so Joseph read Hebrews 7, which is what we were just reading from. He talks about three grand orders of the priesthood here. So this order, this first order, the king of Shalom or Salem. Power and authority over that of Abraham, which that of Abraham, which he held at the time, 
um, holding the key and power of an endless life. And then we have incomplete notes here by the offering of Isaac, which is how Abraham attained to it. If a man would attain this power, he must sacrifice all to attain to the keys of the kingdom of an endless life. Look at that. Endless life, eternal life, same idea. Or in the Franklin Franklin Richards journal, this third order of the priesthood. Now they had him backwards in in, uh, in this first journal. He listed it first, but uh, Richards lists lists it third. But either way, there's three orders spoken of, so doesn't you just have to take it in context. The third order of the priesthood that Joseph spoke about is that of Melchizedek, which he had, who had still greater power than Abraham at the time even power of an endless life, of which was our Lord Jesus Christ, which also Abraham did obtain, eventually, by offering of his son Isaac, which was not the power of prophet nor apostle nor patriarch, but of king and priest to God. Interesting. To pour out the peace and law of endless life to man, and no man can attain to the joint heirship with Jesus Christ, which is what Paul told us about, joint heirs with Christ, without being administered to by one having the same power and authority in Melchizedek. That power of an endless life. Sometimes right in cursive, sometimes right in print, never can tell. Power of an endless life, and now if any man will receive all, talked about that joint Airship, right here, must be able to sacrifice all. Interesting, talk about being crowned with honor, glory, immortality, and eternal life, right here. And Jesus receives his crown of his glory when he presents the kingdom of the Father at the end of the millennium. Some interesting pieces of the puzzle here. So let us read now section, let's let's jump to section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants and look at verses 55 to 70. Well, actually, you know what? Before we do that, let's go to section 84, verses 37, 38. Section 84, 37, 48. He that receiveth me, receiveth my Father. So this is jumping back, hearkening back to Section 93, the idea of receiving of the Father's fullness and not just of the Son's. And he that receiveth my Father receiveth my Father's kingdom. Therefore, all that my Father hath shall be given unto him. So this idea of receiving everything that the Father has is this idea of joint heirship with Jesus Christ and receiving everything that Jesus Christ has. So now let's jump to section 76. Verses 55 to 70. And we start to get a look at some of these mysteries. So we've already talked about the church, first of the church, church of the firstborn. Now, this whole section is talking about those who, who inherit the celestial kingdom. Let's jump back up here real quick. This is the testimony of the gospel of Christ concerning them who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. Well, we're going to see who these just are exactly. So, starting at 55. They are they into whose hands the Father has given all things. So, inherit everything the Father hath has given all things. They are they who are priests and kings, like we just read. 
power of an endless life, who have received of his fullness and of his glory. So not just of the fullness of the Son, but also of the Father, like we've been reading. And they're priests of the Most High, or priestesses, after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten Son. Look at this. Wherefore, as it is written, they are gods, even sons of God. Now, we read earlier in section 93 that Jesus was called the Son of God because he received not the fullness at first. So this is talking about that eventually idea. So this is God little g. See that? God little g. But look here. Wherefore, all things are theirs, whether life or death, things present, things to come, and all are theirs, and they are Christ's, and Christ is God's, or the Father's. But then look here. And they shall overcome all things. Future tense. And they shall overcome all things. It's giving a little bit of uh, hinting at, at this mystery that, that uh, we're unpacking here. Wherefore, let no man glory in man, let them glory in God, who shall do all enemies under his feet. So salvation is to triumph over all the enemies. And Joseph said to to bring them under our own feet. And here it says, we'll overcome all things. So, so eventually we will also subdue enemies under our feet, it sounds like. These shall dwell in the presence of God, Christ forever and ever. And these are those who he shall bring with him when he descends from heaven. So, so this certain class of people that are at this level of spiritual ascension, these are they who have part in the first resurrection. They come forth in the resurrection of the just. So that's the resurrection of the just right there. They are those who are come unto Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly place, the holiest of all, the new Jerusalem. These are they who have come to innumerable company of angels, general assembly, church of Enoch, and of the firstborn. So now we have church of Enoch, a higher level, and church of the firstborn, which we already read earlier. These are they whose names are written in heaven where God and Christ are the judge of all. Look at this. These are they who are just men and women made perfect through Jesus, the mediator of the new and everlasting covenant. Who write out this perfect atonement through the shedding of his own blood. These are they whose body, look at this. These are they whose bodies are celestial. Whose glory is that of the sun, even the glory of God, the highest of all is glory of that of the sun of the firmament, written as being typical. And then it goes on to talk about the terrestrial world, but bodies are celestial. So here is another piece. Uh, bodies are celestial. Let's add that here. It says all things are theirs, but they are at this, at that point in time, they are God's little g, but it said shall overcome. Future tense, whereas back here, Christ is overcoming everything, and then those of us who are on that path shall overcome. So this idea of knowing God is all about following God, following in his footsteps. So let us read here a sermon from Joseph Smith from 7 April 1844. We start to see some more of these pieces. So uh, this is, we have two different discourses here, 7th April in 1844 and 16 June 1844. So 
talking about the resurrection and eternal life. Joseph says, in order to understand the subject of the dead and to speak for consolation to those who mourn for the loss of their friends, it's necessary to understand the character and being of God. Well, because if we want eternal life, we got to know God, right? For I'm going to tell you how God came to be God and what sort of a being he is. For we have imagined that God was God from the beginning of all eternity. Interesting. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so you may see. Truth is the touchstone. These things are incomprehensible to some, but they're simple. The first principle of truth and of the gospel or doctrine of Christ is to know for a certainty the character of God. And that we may converse with him the same as one man with another. And that he once was a man like one of us. And that God himself, the father of us all, once dwelled on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did in the flesh and like us. I will show it from the Bible. I wish you were in a suitable place to tell it. I wish I had the trump of an archangel. If I had the privilege, I could tell the story in such a manner that persecution would cease forever. The scriptures inform us that Jesus Christ said, what did he say? As the Father has power in himself, even so has the Son power in himself. So that is what we are talking about here. Having power, received all power. we got a lot of slides here now. So we're going to see now in these in these uh, commentaries from Joseph, we're going to see a lot of these pieces coming together to do what? Why? What the Father did. That answer is obvious, even in a manner to lay down his body and take it up again, having that power within him of an endless life. Jesus, what are you going to do to lay down my life as Father laid down his body that I might take it up again? Do you believe it? If you don't believe it, you don't believe the Bible. The scriptures say it, and I defy all hell, all the learned wisdom and records, and all the combined powers of earth and hell to, together to refute it. And then he, can, he equates this to eternal life. Here, then, is eternal life, to know the only wise and true God. You've got to learn how to make yourselves gods in order to save yourselves and be kings and priests to God. So we were just reading that in section 76, and they are God's little g, even the sons of God, big g. You have got to learn how to make yourselves gods in order to save yourselves and be kings and priests to God, the same as all gods have done. And then look, we'll see some familiar phrases. By going from a small capacity to a great capacity, from a small degree to another, from grace to grace, there it is again, from grace to grace. You've got to learn how to follow the Son. Follow thou me. And look at this. Do that until the resurrection of the dead, from exaltation to exaltation, until you are able to sit in everlasting burnings and everlasting power and glory as those who have gone before sit enthroned. I want you to know that God in the last days, while certain individuals are proclaiming his name, is not trifling with you or me. I want you to know the first principles of consolation. How consoling to the mourners when they are called to part with the husband, wife, mother, child, dear relative, etc. To know, though they lay down this body and all earthly tabernacles shall be dissolved, that their very beings shall rise in immortal glory to dwell in everlasting burnings, if they've learned how, and to sorrow, die, and suffer no more. And not only that but to contemplate the saying that they will be heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What is it? To inherit and enjoy the same glory, the same powers, the same exaltation until you ascend a throne of eternal power 
and arrive at the station of a god, big G, the same as those who have gone before. So look here. So it talks about being joint heirs and inheriting these things until you also do the same. So, so here, this idea of inheriting the kingdom of God, this idea of eternal life, has kind of a, a, a path of its own. So we have this path to eternal life, and then eternal life has this explanation. Let's, let's draw it on the board. And this is where this comes into play. Immortality and eternal life of man. So eternal life, eternal life seems to be this path of, oh, oops, I didn't put this up. There we go. Of being a God little g, as we read in section 76, this is entering the kingdom of God or the celestial kingdom. And, and as we saw in due time or until or shall eventually overcome all things, until you become God big G, until you ascend a throne of eternal power and arrive at the station of a God, the same as those who've gone before. Well, what did Jesus Christ do? So the same as those who've gone before, including Christ. So following in his path. What did he do? Why, I do the same things that I saw my father do when worlds came rolling into existence. Saw the father do what? I saw the Father work out his kingdom with fear and trembling, and I'm doing the same too. When I get my kingdom, I will give it to the Father at the end of the millennium, like we just read in Doctrine and Covenants, and it will add to and exalt his glory. This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. He will take a higher exaltation, and I will take his place, and I am also exalted so that he obtains kingdom rolling upon kingdom. So that Jesus treads in his tracks as he had gone before and then inherits what God did before. God is glorified in the salvation and exaltation of his creatures. There's the grand secret and key right there. It is plain beyond comprehension and you thus learn that these are some of the first principles of the gospel or doctrine of Christ. Joseph declares. About which so much has been said. When you climb a ladder, you must begin at the bottom rung. You have got to find the beginning of the history and go on until you have learned the last principle of the gospel or doctrine of Christ. It will be a great while after the grave before you learn to understand the last, for it is a great thing to learn salvation beyond the grave, and it is not all to be comprehended in this one single lifetime. So here, Joseph starts giving us a breakdown of some of these pieces to fully understand this. So. In this little diagram, all power, immortality, to take up. So this, this power of mortality, power of an endless life, to do what he saw the Father do, lay down life and take up again. Sorry, that's probably too small. Lay down life, take it up again. A little bit small there. Beg your pardon. Following up later in the 16 June discourse, 1844, given at the Groves to the Temple, he reads John 17, which is all about uh, where we got this is eternal life to know God Jesus Christ. 
the intercessory prayer. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And then he says, I want to read the text to you myself, or give better words, he says. I am agreed with the Father, and the Father is agreed with me, and we are agreed as one. The Greek shows that it should be agreed, he says. Father, I pray for them which thou hast given me out of the world, and not for those alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be agreed, as thou, Father, are with me, and I with thee, that they also may be agreed with us. And all come to dwell in unity and in all the glory and everlasting burnings of the gods. And then we shall see as we are seen and be as our God and he as his father. Look at that. That we shall be as our God and he as his father. So as our God Christ and he as his father. And then we'll be like that. See, until we come to that. So this path of eternal life is this path of spiritual progression, eternal progression, or spiritual ascension, becoming like Jesus Christ, becoming like Heavenly Father, literally in all ways, as he show. Let's, in this context, let's jump to uh, 3 Nephi 11. Actually, let's see here. Well, no, we're going to, 1 John 5, 11 to 13 and 20. So we'll close it out by reading a handful of scriptures that now have a little bit greater context as we have gone through all these pieces. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That you may know, you can know you have eternal life when you receive the promise of eternal life. See that? And that ye may continue, the inspired version adds continue, that you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. In verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. Know him is eternal life. And we are in him that is true, even in the Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. See, he reiterates. 1 John 2, verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Interesting. We can know if we know him. And if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself, Jesus Christ said. If we keep his commandments. Well, look at this, Ether 3, 17 to 20. Now, as I'm around, I said, I could not make a full account of the things which are written. Therefore, it suffices me to say that Jesus showed himself unto this man, the brother of Jared, in the spirit, even after the manner and likeness of the same body that he showed himself to the Nephites. And he ministered unto him, even as he ministered to the Nephites. So the brother of Jared experienced this second comforter. And because of the knowledge of this man, because of his knowledge, how much he knew God, he couldn't be kept from beholding within the veil. He knew, nothing doubting, this is eternal life, to know God. Wherefore, having this perfect knowledge of God, he could not be kept from within the veil. Therefore, he saw Jesus, he'd administer unto him. Hereby, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That's how well Brother Jared was keeping his commandments. Or how about Nephi? I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father, and having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days, yea, 
having had a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God. Therefore, I make record of the proceedings of my days. Nephi also saw God face to face. Jacob 4, verse 12. And now behold, marvel not that I tell you these things, for why not speak of the atonement of Christ and attain to a perfect knowledge of him? As to attain to the knowledge of a resurrection and the world to come. He's speaking of eternal life. Interesting. Look at this, Mosiah 4, 11 and 12. Again, I say unto you, as I've said before, that as ye have come to the knowledge of the glory of God, or if ye have known of his goodness and have tasted of his love. Now, this is this is that first level of knowledge because it's just received the baptism of fire the Holy Ghost. As ye have received the baptism of fire the Holy Ghost level, knowledge of the glory of God, known of his goodness, tasted of his love, received a remission of your sins. So there's that verification there, which causes exceedingly great joy in your souls. I would that ye should remember and always retain in remembrance the greatness of God, your own nothingness, his goodness and long suffering. And humble yourselves, even in the depths of humility, calling on the name of the Lord daily and standing steadfastly in the faith of that which is to come, which was spoken by the mouth of the angel. And look at this right here, verse 12. And behold, I say unto you that if ye do this, ye shall always rejoice and be filled with the love of God and always retain a remission of your sins, and ye shall grow in the knowledge of the glory of him. See that growing, heading on that path of knowledge that leads to eternal life? That created you, or in the knowledge of that which is just and true. Well, section 76 told us that just and true are those that have entered into his presence, which we saw right here. I guess we didn't look at it, but it's in verse 53. Who overcome, there it is again, who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. See that? Where they get the promise of eternal life. Which the Father sheds upon all those who are just and true. So those who are just and true are those who receive the promise of eternal life, which is given by seeing the face of God in his presence in the fullness of his glory. So there... So that was Mosiah 4, 11, and 12. Here's Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, I think. After I heard your faith in Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. See? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? See that right there, right there. Glory of his inheritance, joint heirs with him. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places Far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, see? And gave him to be the head over all things of the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth in all. So we see that there. How about Alma eleven thirty seven? I say unto you again that he cannot save them in their sins, for I cannot deny his word. And he hath said that no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of heaven, the celestial kingdom. Therefore, how can ye be saved except ye inherit the kingdom of heaven? So now Amulek is equating saved to eternal life here. Therefore, ye cannot be saved in your sins. Or jump to 3 Nephi 11, 
verse 33. Whoso believeth in me and is baptized, the same shall be saved. And they are they who shall inherit the kingdom of God. So we're missing, this is a truncated version because we're missing the whole under to the end and all that stuff in, in, in continuing indulgence and keeping the commandments because if you only get baptized and stop there, you're only at terrestrial level. Kingdom of God is celestial, as we were just reading. And if we jump to 3 Nephi 27, we get that phrase, enter into his rest, and connecting that to the kingdom of God. So 27 verse 19. And look at this again. No unclean thing can enter into his kingdom. Therefore, nothing entered into his rest. So we have that again, enter into his rest. Save it be those who have washed their garments in my blood because of their faith and the repentance of all their sins and their faithfulness unto the end. So entering into his rest in the fullness of his glory, as we read in section 84. So just a quick review there. We ran out of room, so we'll draw it again. So, so remember, we had the two levels here of knowing God, of knowing God. We had baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And then here we had enter into his rest or sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise or all those other phrases. What else do we have? That's the level of being just and true. Oh, church of the firstborn. All the same thing here. Let's see, what else did we have? Right there. Church of the firstborn. Oh, the other comforter and the promise of eternal life. Yeah, how could I forget that? Because that's what we're... So we're talking about this whole time. So other comforter and promise of eternal life. So these two steps, which eventually are leading us to this path of eternal life. You shall have eternal life. So as we're on this path here, oh, way back here, this path to know Christ, at some point we enter into his kingdom, which is eternal life. To know God. So we begin, we begin to know him at the baptism of the Father and the Holy Ghost. Then we then we really start to know him when we enter into his presence and see him, feel him with our hands, hear his voice, and then eventually receiving eternal life, then that is as Joseph described, its own path from being a God little g to becoming a God big G. Are we all keeping track with all this? So that is, we're, we're out of time. That's about as much as I could hope to cover in a session, maybe even too much. But eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ. And so the more we contemplate what it means to know God, what it means to know Jesus Christ, if there is a way we can know them more, then there, there is a level higher that we can attain and progress to spiritually. Uh, so we won't feature any questions on this live uh, 
but we will be going to discussion on Zoom. You can join us there by going to doctrineofchrist.com slash join. And we will be having uh, Q&A and discussion. Uh, make sure to click on the Tuesday night link. And thank you, everybody, for joining. Again, doctrineofchrist.com slash join and click on Tuesday night and join our discussion. If you're watching this replay, we go live on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. And afterwards, we have these discussions live if you ever want to join us.